0: Involved in this series now for a couple weeks, we'll continue on Jonah chapter 1. It'll take you as long to find the book of Jonah as it will take to read the entire book of Jonah. It's a little book, but it has a lot, a lot to say. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning, a beautiful day. Palm Sunday. It was on this day, on this day. That the Lord Jesus Christ, he rode into Jerusalem. Rode in on his little donkey. Um, It didn't look very kingly, it's pretty humble. But the people took off their jackets, their coats, and they laid them on the ground. They took palm branches and they waved them Hosanna! Hosanna to the king. You know, what's interesting is that he went in, was referred to as the Eastern Gate in Jerusalem. Many of you know, I had the opportunity, we had the opportunity of being in Jerusalem this past January, and many people don't know that the Eastern Gate, or it's often referred to as the Golden Gate about 500 years ago. People knew that the Messiah supposedly was is claimed to, to come back and he's going to go through that Eastern Gate. And so what they decided to do was, was block up, was to brick up, to close and seal that gate. You can see it, it's sealed up. We know Jesus came as what a humble king, but he will be coming again. To be coming as a victorious conquering king, and he will come through that gate. A few blocks of rock will not stop a conquering king. It's Palm Sunday. We get to celebrate this entire week, Passion Week. We begin it today. Go slow this week. Dads, dads, sit down with your families and read the events of what took place from the time that Jesus rode in on that donkey, to the suffering on the cross, to the story that we will celebrate next Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. Look forward to next Sunday. It'll be great to be together for the first time in our new church that's not entirely finished, don't invite anyone, okay? No, no, it's Easter, we celebrate the risen Savior. Uh, it will be a wonderful, wonderful day together. Let's, let's pray, we have a lot here, um, and we need God's help to listen and to learn this morning, so let's bow our heads together. Father, we do come before you, thanking you for this Sunday that we remember who Jesus is, humble. And yet we know as a result of the resurrection, as a result of the crucifixion, he's also the conquering Messiah. Father, I pray, Lord, for the message that you have placed on my heart. I pray, Lord, that it would be heard as your message, not, not mine. Father, and I just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would descend Amongst us and speak to hearts and remind us, and renew us, awake us to hear of you. Father, at this time, I think of our many students, uh, Pastor Stewart, Cheyenne, are on the retreat. I, I pray for them and this would be a, a time of change and growth pray for Pastor Aaron as he speaks to them as well. Father, I pray for each person that is here, and I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. But today, we are reminded about the importance of surrender to you fully in submission and complete obedience. We ask for your help. Father, please, um, may you be glorified, assist me, use me any way you see fit. We love you. We thank you for your patience and your grace in loving us. We ask this in the- Wonderful name of Jesus, amen and amen. Okay, this text, we're gonna look at the same text. We'll read it in a moment. The same text that we read last week. There was too much. So we divided it into two parts. Part one last week, part two this week. And if you remember by way of review, there's kind of this overarching theme to this little book. We know that Jonah is mentioned only 18 times, but, but God is mentioned 38 times. Times in these few 48 verses as a short book, we know that the overarching theme is that God is in charge, God is the star, God is sovereign over everything and everyone. And God, in his sovereign plan, loves the unlovable. And you and I um, are called to have a part of, even if it's a little part, we're called to have a part of God's sovereign plan plan to save everyone So it gives to us he gave to us a message that allows us to, to tell others that's really what God told Jonah to do and that's what we're going to be reminded that we need to do this morning pick it up with me we'll read beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1 read into chapter 2 all the way down to the end verse 10 God's word says this And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The the waters closed in over me to take my life in the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains. I, I, went, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. But my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of God. Okay, we go all the way back to the beginning. First couple of verses of chapter one. What, what was the commission? What was the command that was given to Jonah? Do you remember this? Go to Nineveh. Let's pause for a second already. What, what is the command? What is the commission that is given to us this morning? Matthew chapter 28. What? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. So before we just pause on Jonah, we have a message and a ministry, a mission for you. Let's not exclude what God has called us to. Jonah, go to Nineveh. You and I, go. It's really one word in Greek, go as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Jonah had been instructed to go to Nineveh by God, a city of such wickedness. I have purposely not described it in detail because that's all you would remember. It's absolutely vile and disgusting. It's hard to speak of their evilness. Go to Nineveh and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was a city that needed to be saved. Nineveh was a city that was spiritually dead. It needed to be, to be revived. It needed what we call in our world today, a revival. God said, go. Jonah said, no. That's how we got into this whole mess anyway. It's always, always going to be a mess when God calls you to do something and you do the exact opposite. Trying to run, it says, away from the presence of God. Really? Really? That's exactly what Jonah tried to do. He boarded a ship, sailing in the opposite direction. Jonah says, I'm not going to this city. It's a big city, and it's filled with bad people. There is no doubt in my mind that Jonah thought that those people are wicked people, and they deserve to be punished for their wickedness. Plus, he probably thought what? You're going to kill me. Killing was a sport for them. Therefore, what? Therefore, what do we learn here? What are we getting? Jonah was far more concerned about his own safety than he was about the souls of other people. Let me say that again. Jonah was more concerned about his own safety and he was about the souls of other people. Something tells me that, that Jonah is not the only one who's more concerned about himself than others. You know where I'm going with that? Jonah didn't sail for long. Before, because God hurled a great wind upon the sea, it says a mighty tempest so much that the seasoned sailors were terrified. They're crying out like little scared kids. They're praying. They throw Jonah overboard. It says that God appointed a great fish. Then finally, finally, then it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed. I've heard this. I've heard that there's a saying amongst church folk. You're church folk, some of you. Some of you want to be. Some of you had no desire to be church folk. You're just trying to impress somebody else sitting next to you. There's a saying I understand amongst Christians, among people who consider themselves committed followers of Jesus Christ. The saying goes something like this. Revivals are born after midnight. Revivals are born after midnight. Does that mean that we have to actually wait until like 1201? We got to stay up really, really late before God hears our prayers? No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we have to to pray only when we are tired and worn out, absolutely exhausted, late? We, We can't pray when we are fresh or rested. Does it mean that? No, no. Revivals are born after midnight, while not literally true, that statement actually points to something that is very, very, very true. What is it? A.W. Tozer says this, revivals or any other spiritual gifts and graces come to only those who want them badly enough. In the darkness, there's, there's prayers that are cried out after midnight. In the blackness, Can can I tell you something? I don't want you to be disappointed with this. Some of you probably will be shocked. I have never been inside the belly of a fish before. Just get it out, all right? Never spent any time inside the belly of a fish. But I'm I'm just taking a guess here, okay? I'm guessing it's pretty dark in there. Kind of like... How dark it is after midnight. But revivals are born after midnight. This portion of scripture is often referred to as the Psalm of Jonah. Did you know that? Now think first and foremost, when we hear the word Psalm, we kind of think Psalms as as songs that are written to to be read out loud. Matt reads Psalms all the time. I love that. Psalms are are written to be sung, and we usually think of psalms that are written by the psalmist David, and he's sitting underneath the, the shade of a cypress, and there's this cold rushing brook in front of him, and he's got his harp, and he's playing, and everything is perfect. He lifts up his voice. He, he sings, he, he writes, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. That's kind of the idea of what we have for Psalms. That you realize not all the Psalms are written like that. David writes in Psalm chapter 61, hear my cry, my cry, oh God, from the ends of the earth I call out to you. This particular text, this Psalm of Jonah Okay, it's more like the latter. There is there's no shady trees here. There's no soft harp. There's no babbling brook. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. There was the stench, the stinking stench of fish juices, gastric acids, stomach acids at work. There was what? There was decaying seaweed that was literally wrapped around his head. You get a little bit on your toe when you're in the beach and you're like terrified. Whoa! There's seaweed wrapped around his head. A terrifying, terrifying darkness. There has to be a a crushing tightness, a constant pressure of being confined. It's like claustrophobia. A sense almost constantly, almost every minute, three days and three nights of, of of almost suffocating. All of this, all of this, while what being tossed and turned as this fish swims and darts and dives into the depths of the ocean. It's in that setting that there was what there is a desperate plea, a crying out a prayer to the only one, the only one who could answer prayer. We saw last week that Jonah cried out for God's help. He cried out for God's help. We saw what? That Jonah accepted God's correction. Jonah understood the idea that whom God loves, he chastens, he corrects, he spanks. Whoa, 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 be careful with that word around here. No, 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 no. Jonah is getting spanked by God right here. It's all for a purpose. It's all for a reason. There's a perfect plan. Because today, today we will see what I refer to as the turn. And that's, that's where we need to get to. We will hear of repentance. We'll hear of of the word contrition, which means a crushing or a brokenness. We'll hear about what submission really looks like. We'll hear about surrender. This, this is not about just hearing about God or just reading about God. This is not, this is not just believing about God. It says in, in the word of God that even, even the demons believe. So we know it's more than that. This text right here, this psalm of Jonah, is all about obeying God last week we saw that Jonah finally prays. this week we will see that Jonah finally finally obeys he obeys has there been a time has there been a time in your life that you can note you you, you remember how wet the pillow was with your own tears you, you, you remember the sting of your knees aching on prayer because because what? Because there was a time that you turned. Or could I ask you this? Will will there be a time for you to turn, to repent, to submit, to surrender before it's too late? Number three, we see what? We see Jonah trusted in God's promise. Jonah trusted in God's promise the condition what it is bleak at best and yet for some reason there is still hope there's still hope that exists let me remind you that there is always 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 hope for change it is never too dark Yeah, yeah, but you don't don't know my story. You don't know what I did. No, no, no. It is never, you are never too far away. You are never too deep for God, a sovereign God, to rescue you. Let me tell you this. It was dark in that tomb for three days when Jesus was in the tomb. He had been placed there. What? He lived a perfect, sinless life, and they crucified him. And for a moment, for for that brief moment, that that little period of time, Satan thought he won. But let me tell you this. It is never too dark for a sovereign God. It is never too dark for a resurrected Savior to come to your rescue and to save you. It, it, It looked bleak, and yet there was hope. How do we know there was hope? There's an indicator that God in his grace turns things around for Jonah. And it's revealed really in in a little short word. It's a three-letter word. I'm not sure if you saw it, if you picked up on it, if you heard it at first. Listen to this. It says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Little word. Did you see that word yet? it's, It's a conjunction. It means nevertheless or however. Listen to this. Again, it's repeated. Verses 5 and 6. Waters closed in over me. Weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the land whose bars are closed upon me. Yet, yet, however, you brought my life up from the pits. Oh, Lord, my God. It's kind of like Jonah knew something, didn't he? You, you kids, you college students you'll know nothing about a payphone. There used to be something in our world called a payphone. It was like on a telephone pole somewhere. and It was like attached to it. There was like a cord. And years ago, you could actually make a call from a payphone for a dime. It used to be a quarter. Before it was a quarter, it was actually a dime. And when I was a kid, my dad and mom, when they sent me out, they would give me a dime. I had an emergency dime. You keep your emergency dime in your pocket. If you ever got in trouble, all you got to do is find a phone, which is not always easy to find. But what? But with an emergency dime, you can always call home. Any trouble anywhere, just find a phone, put the little, little dime in, and you're safe. We run, we play, we wander, and what? I know in a moment, I can call my dad, and he'll be right there to get me, no problem. It's, it's kind of like Jonah has what? He has a knowledge. I'm driven from your sight Yet, what, however, nevertheless, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah's life had been going in one direction by his own choosing. What? Which direction? He had been going down. It says he went down to Joppa. It says he went down into the ship. It says he went down to the land whose bars are closed. Sheol is the description. Remember this, although, although what? God is sovereign, there's still stupid decisions that we can make. There's foolish and sinful decisions that, what? That Jonah made. What is the result? I read this week, when one turns their back on God, the only direction you can go is down. Oh, I have witnessed it. It's a horrible thing to watch. I've seen men, good men, godly men. I've seen men who have been gifted and graced with the ability to stand up and to preach. And yet somewhere along the line, they, they bit the hook. They bit the lie. And, and they did the opposite of what God called them to do. I've watched what happens with that. Been in living rooms, sitting with families, with a wife there and children there, and saying, Yeah, daddy's not coming home because he ran off with someone else. I've been there. Been there when a teenager took a bottle of pills and chased it down with vodka. Saying, That's it. I'm all, it's all over. I don't want it anymore. I'm out of here. I've seen what happens when people run the opposite direction of what God calls them to do. I've seen the hurt and tears. I've seen people locked up because they chose to do the opposite, because they ran the opposite direction. But Jonah did. It's amazing, though, The guy asked the question, like, why why doesn't it end like this? Like, what saved Jonah? What, What turned things around for Jonah? Why does the story not end with him drowning in the ocean? Why does the story not end with him suffocating or being crushed to death in the belly of a fish? Why? Why does the story not end like that? Why? Because God had a plan and a purpose for Jonah's life. Because God had a plan and a purpose to save the city of Nineveh. That's why the story doesn't end in the belly of a fish. You know what happened here? Jonah trusted in God's plan. That's the difference. Why doesn't the story end like that? Because Jonah had faith in God's promise. We, we see this in his words. Look what it says in verse 4. I shall, again, look upon your holy temple. Wait a minute. I, I shall look. It's future tense. Jonah is still in the midst of a stinking mess of a place. And yet what? He's already making plans. He says, I know this. I know where I'm going when I get out of here. What's he says? I'm going to church first and foremost. That's what he's talking about. He's making plans, what? To worship. He's making plans to sacrifice. He's making plans to adore. He's making plans to love God again. Jonah, what? He gets a glimpse and he recognizes in what? In the stinking, sinful situation that he was in. He recognizes and he gets a glimpse of God's holiness. I shall look again upon your holy temple. He got a glimpse, even in his own unholiness, he got a clear view of God's perfection, God's beauty, he got a clear view of God's holiness. Oh, how we need to keep that in mind, how we, how we need to see God's holy perfection. And that in that holiness, he sees you. Yeah, but yeah, but just like there's things just wrapped around us. And it's just, it stinks, and I'm terrified, and it's dark. No, no. God, in his holiness, he sees you and he has a plan and a purpose, just like he has a plan and a purpose. What did it take for, what did it take for, for Jonah? Hebrews describes it like this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things not seen. Jonah, what? He's He's not seeing it right in front of him, but he has faith in a God of miracles, in a sovereign God. No doubt. I don't want to be too hard on Jonah, but he is stupid and sinful at best, like I am. Jonah, you know, we gasp, how could he ever be? No, No, stupid and sinful at best, and yet he finally prayed as we saw last week, and now Jonah finally obeyed. Could I ask you this? Do you trust? Like, really? Do you truly have faith? The substance of things, hope for the evidence of that which is not seen. Do you have faith to take that step? Do you have faith in the holiness of God that you will one day be used? But you might have a tiny little part, tiny little part of his perfect plan, but it's a part. You realize most of us invest our day and our time and our monies into things that will have no eternal weight or value. Most of most of us. It will have no eternal weight or value. Two things, two things, two things last for eternity that we touch and see around us. What? The word of God lives and endures forever, and the souls of mankind. That's it. All the garbage you're collecting at home and you're buying on like that QVC shopping show, none of it lasts. Start to burst your bubble. You know, the thing that you're rubbing in your garage, like you're shining, you step back, and it's like, oh, oh, missed a spot. None of it lasts. Jonah had faith, and he trusted in God's promise. Fourthly, and finally, Jonah submitted to God's will. He submitted. When my life was fainting away, like that's it, it's over, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, but I with thanksgiving, thank you, I will sacrifice to you. Now what's interesting here, particularly out of verses seven, eight, and nine, in verse eight, I have noticed in the translation several different references, excuse me, several different um, translations of the Bible take a lot of liberty. There's a lot of lateral movement with the, with, the, with the interpretation, or I should say translation of verse 8. It says this, we read it in the ESV. That's what I preached from, the English Standard Version. Get one. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The old King James says it like this, they that observe lying vanities, they forsake their own mercy. New American Standard, good, good, good translation says this, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. They're all saying different things. They mean the same, but they're saying it different ways. I think in all honesty, shock for me to say it, I think the best actually most easily understood. In this, in this particular case comes from the NIV. It says this, those who cling to worthless, worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I think that's really well-worded. Certainly accurate to interpretation. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. The meaning, what? It's the same. There's a little bit of a different wording, but it's very, very clear what Jonah is praying and crying out for. I don't think he's just thinking about those sailors that were praying to false gods. Remember earlier up on the ship? I don't think it's just that that's coming to his mind. You know what I believe? I believe now Jonah admits that there were idols in his own life. Jonah's like confessing the fact that there were idols. What is an idol? Like we know an idol is a little carved piece of wood or, or maybe it's chipped or shaped or smooth or sanded out of stone or it's molten metal. And it can be in the shape of anything. Like literally idols are made in the shape of a cow, of a uh, cat, of a cat. There's idols that people will, will pray to. It's in the shape of a frog or a dragon, anything. Little, little shapen stone of a fat guy with his, his legs crossed. Buddha, and people pray into that. It's an idol. I visited India a number of years ago, and literally it startled me. I saw, I was looking, it was, it was a, a stone shaped, it was carved in the shape of a rat and looked like really real. I took a picture of it. I sent that home. And I'm like, honey, that's 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 why the gospel is needed. People are like, they're praying. They're literally bowing before a stone that is in the shape of a rat. It's an idol. What what is an idol? An idol is anything. It doesn't have to be just that. It's anything that what takes away from God, the affection and the obedience that rightfully belongs to him. Now, some of you, I trust, what, are not bowing before a stone that's in shape of a rat, but I tell you what, you're bowing before other things, anything. It's anything that can take your affection and your obedience away from what God rightfully deserves, your house. Even your home, it's a beautiful home, wonderful. God blessed you with that. Some of you stay up at night and worry more about your house than you do about sharing the gospel with others. Like if you were to cut the time, like measure the time, some of you are more concerned about your car, about your career, about what clothes you wear, about what hobbies you do, about what toys you own. Or sometimes what's interesting, it might not be quite as tangible as that. Maybe it's not an object. And so Satan will tempt us with something that's a little bit more subtle and actually sounds pretty good. You realize that your own family can become an idol? You realize that? You realize that your own kid? Yeah, but we're supposed to love our children. Yes, yes, you love our children, but you think about what? We have moms and dads that are tearing around, and they are trying to meet every single need for their little prince or their princess. You know the parent. You've seen them halftime, and mommy runs out with the Gatorade. Here you go, and then you hear the kids say, "I don't like Arctic Rush." Oh my goodness! The kids, the idol. The kids running that whole home. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. It doesn't have to be a stone shaped like a rat. I know parents that spend far more time in trying to get their kid a scholarship i telling them how to get to heaven. And, and it has become an idol in their life. Jonah had an idol in his life, and it wasn't a car. Jonah had an idol in his life. It certainly wasn't his clothes, okay? They were probably burned off by this time. Jonah had an idol. It wasn't his career. Jonah had an idol in, in, in his life, and it was Jonah. Understand that you, you, what? Jonah was more concerned about his own comfort and his own safety than he was about the souls of mankind. I think there were other reasons. I think there were other idols. I think it was his own patriotism. He was was more in love with what? The nation Israel than he was in love with the nation Assyria. He felt that the nation Israel should be saved, but not, not the Assyrians. We can have all kinds of things and take our affection and our love and our obedience from the God who deserves it. But no longer, uh No, no, no. Jonah says, I don't wanna forsake God's love any longer. Jonah in this darkness, in this hellish place, he says, I don't want to miss out on, on God's love and God's mercy any longer. He says this, I with thanksgiving. Sacrifice. I get to give. Is that the way you do it? I get to give. With thanksgiving, I will sacrifice what I vowed I will pay. I ask you this, what keeps you from offering your full love? and affection and obedience to God. What, what What's blocking? I, if I just get this one more promotion, if I get this one more promotion, I'm going to be good. Then I'll really be able to have the time to serve. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, if, if, I just, if I just nail down this, this one more degree, if I, just, if I just make it to that time that we've marked in the sand and, and we can retire and it's going to be comfortable and like I, I, I bury my feet in the sand, it's warm, I got a cold drink, like when we get there, then we'll be able to serve. Really? What is it? It blocks your view of a holy God that deserves, that deserves everything. Look at the conclusion here. What, what, what are Jonah's final recorded words in this particular psalm? I love the way that it stands on its own. Period before, exclamation point after it. What? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the... Jonah is acknowledging the fact what he can't save himself. Jonah is acknowledging the fact like there is nobody else out there that can save him in the situation that he is in. Jonah is acknowledging the fact that there is only one who can save him, and it is God and God alone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Does it mean that only his own salvation because he prayed, now he's special? No, no, no. What what does it mean? The salvation of all mankind belongs to the Lord, which means it's his choosing and not our choosing. Our only responsibility is to trust and obey, like that old hymn goes, Trust and obey, for there's no other way. It's our only responsibility to submit, to surrender, and obey. And the fish vomited Jonah up on the dry land. I actually looked at the Hebrew word for vomit, and in every single translation, it translates the word vomited. Vomited. There's, there's like no other way. This is, this, like, there's no way to pretty this one up, all right? This is not a very pretty or prestigious way to end up on the mission field, I can tell you that. No, no, Jonah became throw-up. When he was on the ship, okay, he was considered dangerous cargo. They threw him overboard. Because the the sailors were scared of him. When he was in the belly of the fish, he was thrown up. Why? Because even the the fish was sick of him. He had reduced himself because of his own decisions. He had disregarded God's plan and purpose for his life. And what happened? He cheapened himself. Same thing happened. Same thing happened to us. You disregard what God's plan and purpose is for your, your life and you cheapen yourself. There is no doubt in my mind that after he arrived on dry land and he stood up like he was what? He was a changed man. He was a humbled man. Far, far more importance. He was an obedient man. But now, but now at this moment, now, revival awaits. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Just like you were with Jonah, we thank you for the plan and purpose that you have for our life. We know, Lord, that sometimes it's in those dark moments we cry out. Father, but we thank you, Lord, that it's in those moments that you still have, you still have a desire to use us. You remain steadfast in your holiness. I thank you, Lord, that that even in the darkness of the tomb, when Satan begins to party and cheer and clap, that he thinks that he's won. We thank you, Lord. There's no situation that's too dark. We can never. Go too far down before you, a sovereign savior, rescues us. Father, help us to examine our own life now, our own heart now. May we understand, just as Jonah has been called for a very clear plan and purpose, that each one of us have been called to be obedient for the plan and purpose you have for our life. We need your strength to direct us. We need your spirit to control us. And we ask that you would do that. In your name we pray. Amen.